0: So this is now week three of uh, epic fails of the patriarchs. We oftentimes uh, are encouraged to look, at the, to look at the saints of the Old Testament and to emulate them. And if you read, if you read just certain parts of the New Testament, it may, you get the idea, uh, you hear the highlights, the great things that they did, and it tempts us to maybe think that we could never be like them. But as we look, we see that uh, they are much more like us than we think. We've looked at it. We started, we looked at Abraham, the father of faith, and saw that he sometimes was just as unfaithful as, as we are, but in the end, uh, over 30 years of walking with God, God produced faith in him through trial and through, and through hardship. And, and, and uh, then last week, we looked at Jacob, who's now, after that study for me, is one of my personal favorites hope to be like Jacob someday. Uh, And today we're going to look at Moses, right? Moses. If there's anybody in the Bible who's holy, it's got to be Moses, right? There cannot be anything wrong with Moses, right? Well, we're going to find out today. So if you please stand uh, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read now. We're going to read the glowing reports, the highlights of the New Testament about Moses, the world's humblest angry man. Now this is, uh, so let's, let's listen intently together to the Word of God. I'm going to read three different passages, Hebrews and Numbers and Deuteronomy. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, More than all the people who are on the face of the earth. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the encouragement that it gives us, to, how Moses was a picture of Jesus, how Moses was the mediator of a covenant, Lord, but also for not glossing over the, some of the details of Moses' life so that we might be encouraged as well, Lord, not in Moses' failure, but to know that you're not looking for perfection from us. You are looking for us to trust in what you have given us in Jesus, just like Moses did. And uh, we pray that you would help us to see that tonight, Lord, that you would give us uh, minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word as you show us the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Moses is the undisputed, Second biggest name in the whole Bible, next to Jesus himself. If you do a concordance search or a, if you have a software program like, like we use, if you, have, if you just type in Moses, it goes on for days. Moses is named in every, almost every book of the Bible, maybe every book of the Bible, just on and on and on about Moses, 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 Moses. We some of the stuff we just read, Deuteronomy 34 says that Moses was the greatest prophet that ever lived. He was also considered the meekest, most the humblest man who ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, he, they, he was attacked several times in his ministry by whole families of people, even by his own family, and he, con- he consistently, in meekness and humility, didn't defend himself or fight back, but just entrusted himself to God. He was somehow in the presence of God in, in, in such a way that the Bible describes it as Moses Talk to the Lord as a as to a friend face to face. For 40 years in the tabernacle, Moses had a relationship with God like none of us have ever had, face to face, whatever that means. Uh, and on top of that, Moses in the New Testament is one of the clearest, is shown to be one of the clearest pictures of Jesus in all the Old Testament. He's the mediator of a covenant. Uh, he is the intercessor he's interceding for God's people he leads the exodus out of egypt which we see is the is the is the big picture of jesus and what jesus is doing in the new testament just like egypt or just like, or just like moses led god's people out of the slavery of bondage in egypt jesus is leading god's people out of the slavery of bondage to sin and death into a new and promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. Moses is one of the clearest pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so out of everybody, come on. If there's anybody in the Old Testament we can look to and say, he is the man, he is holy, he's got to be, he's got to be righteous, right? I mean, the Pharisees were banking on that. If there's anybody in the Old Testament that's holy, it's got to be Moses, But Moses, Moses had a secret. In one way it's true, Moses was the, for the OT, for the Old Testament, Moses was the man. But Moses' secret was that he really wanted to be the man. (laughs) He wanted to be recognized as the savior of Israel way before God was ready to put him in that role. And he totally jumped the gun. He wanted the glory of being seen as the leader, being admired as the leader long before he was able or capable of being that um, without ever cultivating the deep humility and submission to God that's necessary. First, he wanted glory. Uh, and, and we can all relate to that, man. If it, there's one common denominator, maybe one thing that we can all relate to uh, as an effect, a side effect of the fall if we're really honest, we really look at what the law says and we judge ourselves against it like the New Testament says we're supposed to do, we see that we are constantly engaged in in this in this enterprise of blowing ourselves up to everybody else. Little, you know, little exaggerations here, little little stretch of the story here, all over the place making us trying to make ourselves look better and we really are in the hopes of receiving admiration, respect, and glory from people so that we feel safe, so that we feel secure, as a way of a self-salvation strategy, as Tim Keller likes to call it. John, the evangelist, calls this the boastful pride of life. Jesus himself, we saw in the reading of the law, talked about it, about, ironically, um, you know, Moses, he's pointing to Moses uh, as the one who's going to accuse the Pharisees of constantly seeking glory from one another rather than seeking glory from God. And so we are all tempted in this in one way or another. <laughs> Social media is almost this apparatus custom made to help us do that. It almost preys on that weakness that we have. So we all have access now To this global promotion device where we can make ourselves look even bigger than we really are in and in our imaginations think. That because that who we are on Instagram is who we really are in life, and that makes us feel safe. But that's dangerous. It's super dangerous because it's not safe, as Moses is gonna find out. And so it's good to know. The big idea of what we're gonna talk about today is that when we seek our own glory. Sin is always waiting, and so it's better to wait for the glory that comes from Christ. When we seek our own glory, sin is always waiting, so it's better to wait for the glory that comes from Christ. Let's look at that one part at a time. First, when we seek our own glory, Moses had a secret. And let's read, let's read the story where this comes out. There's a sin here where he kills somebody, but there's actually a sin behind the sin, the motive behind it that will become clear as we, as we look at it. So I'm going to read Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If not, you can listen intently together with us. Uh, so this is Exodus chapter 2. One day when Moses had grown up, he went, out from his peop- he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, and he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. The big question in this is, why did Moses kill this guy? He was the prince of Egypt. Right? He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He had all the power in the world to arrest him. All the power in the world to even send him, send him to, to, to arrest him and, and send him to be executed. But instead he kills him himself and, and hides the body in the sand. Why, why did he do that? The answer is in, the author of Hebrews gives us the answer, what we just read. It says, When Moses was grown up, That's exact same language as this passage we just read. One day when Moses had grown up, so we know he's pulling from this same passage. When Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, he's saying his motive was right. He had disavowed the palace in Egypt and decided that he was going to save his people personally And his plan to do it, apparently, was he was going to kill one Egyptian at a time until he got everybody out. (laughs) Not a very good plan, but better than some of the plans I've come up with. Amen? Or you? Amen? Amen? You know what I'm saying? Wow. And so the sin here, the sin behind the sin... Is that Moses wanted to be recognized as the man? He wanted everybody to look his people to look up to him and admire him as the Savior of Israel. And we know that from his reaction when he goes out the very next day looking to cash in on some of that glory by breaking up this fight, thinking everybody's gonna look up to me and admire me now as the leader, and instead they they don't. They say, Who are you? Who made you a prince and a judge over us? And he's legitimately shocked. He's legitimately shocked and upset that his people are not recognizing him for the leader that he sees himself to be. But we know he's not there yet, right? If you have any connection with the music industry or the the entertainment industry, you know that there are multitudes of semi-talented, mediocre musicians and actors that are all... Vying that are all killing themselves to make it big in the industry. Do you know why that is? It's duh. It's because our culture worships musicians and artists and actors. And so there are literally multitudes of people who are seeking to be saved, to heal themselves through fame and the recognition and the admiration that comes from it. And they're not about to let a thing like Lack of talent, stop them. Or, or there are people that are talented, but they're taking the talents and giftings that God has given them and using them for the motive of blowing themselves up. And God's like, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. You're not going to use my gifts to blow yourself up, which is really Moses' story. That's what Moses was trying to do. Uh, And that's the world, right? But the church, too. The same thing happens with us. You ever wonder why in those, you ever been in a church where they gave spiritual gift tests and 80% of the people score prophet or uh, apostle? Because that's what's admired. And you take the test and you're like, well, I already know I'm a prophet, so I'm gonna answer these questions in a way I think a prophet would answer. And at the end you get prophet. And you're like, see, I knew it. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. Um, <laughs> it, the desire to be admired is smart and it has its own life and it will morph into whatever culture you're in. If you're in the secular world and to be admired and respected means you're a rock star, you'll fight for that. If you get into the church world, uh, and being holy, or being a, you know some position that you see as lofty in the church, we'll fight for that. Uh, I think it's big reason behind the toxicity of the Reformed culture. We want to be the man in the bigger church, uh, and 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 there's a, and we don't go about it in a way that's spiritually. We don't go about teaching and blessing in a way that's spiritually mature. Well, here's the problem, here's the problem, here's a big problem. Um, whether it's something that you're not gifted at, that you're struggling after, and this can be hard to hear, but just listen, listen to me, listen. There may be some gifting that you want so bad, but you just don't have it, and you're struggling after it with all your might. It may be that you do have some gifting in that area, but your motive is wrong. You're struggling apt to, to blow yourself up. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because, for one thing, you know, your mentors, people who have God has put in spiritual authority over you, they know, they can see what's happening with you. Uh, and so they're not going to put you in that spot. And even people that don't, people, everybody can sense it. We used to have, When I was a salesman, we used to have this term called grocery bagging, meaning that if you were like financially destitute and you had to make that sale and you were so desperate for it that you were just going in there and you were just it, people would smell that over the phone even in telemarketing and you couldn't sell anything but if you were in it to like seriously if you were in with an attitude of i want here to serve this person and i'm here if they're if our product is really going to be a benefit to them and you present it in that way you do well the reason it doesn't work to strive after these things that we're not ready for or we don't have giftings for is because it's grocery bagging. It doesn't work. It's all about this tight-chested fear that we have to have something to be safe and it's a discontentment with God pl- pl- placing us where he has. Jesus talks about this in one of the parables where he talks about don't go seek at the top seat. Go seek in the lowliest seat and you wait to be placed. God knows where we need to be. God knows where we should be in time. And so our job is to be humble, seek the lowliest spot, and wait, wait for God to put us in the place that He would want us to be. And in that, it's the greatest blessing. And worse, in Moses' case, that kind of desire can get super dark. And wanting to be the man can lead you to do things that you would never do otherwise. In this case, Moses kills a man and buries him in the sand. And for that, surely Moses was disqualified, right? God's like, that's it. Murder? Can't be saved after that, right? <clears throat> Shockingly, No. God, the, the antidote, here's the, the antidote for grocery bagging, even in, in the Christian world, is God takes Moses and puts him for 40 years raising sheep in total obscurity. And in that time, he's teaching him, and gracefully and mercifully teaching him through the raising of sheep what he's going to need to know to lead God's people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And then after that, uh, after that and then Moses is 40 more years in the wilderness with his people developing that meekness and that humility right and so you would think after that at least after that 40 years of sheep 40 years of meekness with his people in the wilderness after that much now certainly Moses is holy right well next point. point first point when we seek our own glory second point Sin is always waiting. Let's fast forward now 80 years, what I just talked about. This was, uh, you know, Moses kills this man then runs, run, has to run away. He's, a, he's, he's herding sheep for 40 years. God calls him back. He's in the wilderness with his people, leading God's people for 40 years, 80 years total. He's been doing this, right? Uh And finally, the last year of the Exodus, 80 years later, the last year before they come to the promised land, God's people come to a place called Kadesh. It's the last place and God's people begin grumbling at Moses and and threatening him because there's no water. And they say, After 40 years of God providing for them in the wilderness, after having been rescued from slavery in Egypt, having passed through the Red Sea and watched the water stand up, having had food provided to them in the desert, having their clothes not wear out, they're grumbling at Moses saying, Is God with us? Is he not with us? And Moses, the first time they had said this, at the very beginning of the wilderness wandering, Moses was afraid that they were going to stone him to death. And now at the very end of the wilderness wanderings, the same thing's happening all over again. People are clamoring for water, uh, probably threatening to stone Moses again. They're just being grumpy, grumbling, ungrateful, uh, short-sighted, mean sheep. And Moses and Aaron are both over it. They're totally over it by this point. And so they go to God. And they say, God, in great humility before the presence of God, oh, Lord, what shall we do? And God says super clearly, I want you to go out and speak to this rock, and then water is going to come out. And here's what Moses did. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, totally over it, And Moses, and Moses says to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What? 40 years? Can you imagine his response? Like in his head, not out loud, right? In his head, he's like, what? 40 40 years? Put up one wrong thing? I mean, what just happened there? Something bad just happened, right? Something seriously bad just happened because he has just been banned from entering the promised land. The hope that he's been hoping for this entire time The people are going to go across, but he's not. He just got X'd out. What happened? What did he do? Well, There's two things, two major sins that he just did. The first one, first one is this, is that in his his anger, he got so upset, so angry with the people, he was so over it. In his anger, even after 80 years of, of walking with God, the old sin of wanting to blow himself up just popped right back out. Isn't that amazing? Listen to what he says. So God says, Speak to the rock, meaning call upon the name of Yahweh to the rock, and then I will bring forth water, showing that God, glorifying God as the one who's bringing the water from the rock. And what does Moses do? Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water, he and Aaron, for you out of this rock? And then he smacks it with his staff twice. Violent. Like punching the pole through the wall when you're super mad. Not that I've ever done that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> You've heard of people who have done such things. Uh, and so what's the point? The point is point it. Is is it anger? Our anger, our un, our anger and our resentment is the devil's playground, because in it we lo- there's a, there's a there's a one a, a reformed uh, biblical counseling author who said, he brings up the the great um, analogy that 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 someone called anger the little insanity, <laughs> the little insanity. Because when you get so mad, you're going to punch a hole in the wall, you just do stuff that you would never do. You do crazy stuff like Moses just did. And so he just added, he got so mad that the old sin just popped right out again, you know, 80 years walking with God. There's a book that we read in our men's group by John Freeman talking about pornography and the habits of pornography. And he says in this one super enlightening passage, he says, I've never met a man with a pornography issue that didn't have an anger problem. And I've never met a man who had an anger problem who doesn't have a pornography issue. They're super related. Because when you get angry and you get insane, in, it, you get angry and you lose, you, you, will gra- you will reach out for the first thing that will make you feel a little bit better right now, and oftentimes that's pornography, or fill in the blank with your favorite sin, food, gossip, uh, whatever, shopping, anything for a fleeting sense of power. And so that, well, that's why it's so critical to maintain as best we can our gratitude and our, and our focus on Jesus through a constant and rhythmic disciplines in our lives, prayer, meditation, reading. We used to think when we were first saved, so our, our close friends, when we were first saved, we used to ask, always ask this question, like what, is, what, how, what can we expect of sanctification? In other words, when are we going to be holy and the short answer you know the short answer is when you die when you die you'll be confirmed in ethical righteousness but until that point sin is always waiting and when you get upset and angry it's a big opportunity for us to, to do things that we would never other, otherwise do and so you, that's why Jesus said, stay awake stay awake but there's worse. It's not just that. That's not all Moses did. Not just the old man just wanting to, 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 to be the man that jumped out again. Moses, in this story, he actually he became a murderer again. He murdered the character of God. In the first story, he murdered a man. But in this story, he murders the character of God in front of all Israel so God in, intended in this to, to, to speak peace and to give a show, a model of his salvation and redemption by having you know, Moses speak to the rocks and then God would show himself uh, as being able to provide living water in the midst of the wilderness and build them up in their faith and show them that his salvation was even in the midst of their sin and grumbling that he was the provider of living water. Paul, in Corinthians, talks about this incident and he says that rock was Jesus. That rock was Christ. In other words, it was a picture of God's free salvation and providing living water to us in the wilderness, even in the midst of our grumbling, amen? Uh, And instead, Moses takes this picture of Jesus and instead turns it into a picture of a God of vengeance. He misrepresents God as someone who is just as every bit as angry and vindictive as Moses can be on his worst day. And he obliterates the picture of mercy and grace that God is trying to present to his people. And he makes the idea of salvation all about obedience or or, or a level of Holiness that you must achieve in order to be saved. And totally murders the character of God. Huge warning here for pastors. Uh, and just, and, but, but for all of us to see how it is that when we want to be the man so badly that it can cause us to be angry or, or that it, you know, it's bubbling up in our lives, how easy it is for us to end up misrepresenting the gospel because of that toxic reformed culture. Uh, And so so here, now look at this. So we've got two now. Moses murders a man. Now Moses has murdered the character of God in front of everybody, and he's just been banned from the promised land. Certainly now Moses is disqualified, right? Right? Because the promised land is a picture of salvation and if he doesn't make it into this picture of salvation, that must mean that he's not truly saved, right? He's totally blown it. But fortunately, providentially, Moses was waiting for something even better. Point three, Moses was waiting for the glory that comes only through Christ. So point one, when we seek our own glory, point two, sin is always waiting Point three: It's better to wait for the glory that comes through Christ. God is teaching us a huge lesson. That and the lesson is this: that not, uh, that no one makes it into the promised land by trying to be or do good. Not even Moses. Not even Moses. Think about that for a minute. If you ever get tempted to think about, mm, it's, uh, uh, if you're tempted to think about being saved by your own merit or, or your own obedience, you just got to ask yourself, have I done as good as Moses? And if the answer is no, you can just throw that idea out the window because not even Moses makes it into the promised land based on his own merit. Even Moses falls short. God is teaching us this. If only the Pharisees that argued with Jesus had gotten this point. In the law we read today, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, he's saying, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. And so what he's saying there, he's saying, Moses is going to be your accuser not on, based on his righteousness but based on the fact that he is a repentant and forgiven sinner guilty of the same thing that you are now guilty of. Oh, the irony. And so the big question is, the question is, does Moses, does Moses make it home? Does Moses ever make it into the promised land? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, but how? How can a guy, if we think the way we are, tend to think, if we think the way we think when we wake up on Monday morning, how can a guy make it to the promised land? How can a guy who, who never got over his biggest sin be qualified to make it into the promised land? How could a guy who 80 years after walking with Jesus falls into the same pattern of sin that he had on his first week? Doesn't that disqualify you? It must, right? Well, the answer is no, it doesn't. And the answer is given to us again in the book of Hebrews when he says that he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then it says, to explain what's the reward, it says Moses saw and greeted the promises from afar, meaning he saw them coming in, in time, distance in time. He saw them coming and he acknowledged that he was a stranger, and alien on the earth. I'm not going to blow myself up on the earth. I'm going to try not to because this is not my home. I don't need to. And instead he was looking, he said he, would, he desired a better country, a heavenly one. He was looking forward to the city whose designer and builder is God. In other words, Moses, Moses would have known about the promises made to Abraham. That through one of Abraham's descendants would come God's salvation. That all the nations would be blessed and they were, he was waiting for that promise to come. Moses, who, who received the covenant, received the instructions for the tabernacle, uh, received the ceremonial law of the animal sacrifice system, knew in some way that these things were all not in and of themselves saving, but also all that was pointing towards this promise that God had made his people. And so the bottom line is that Moses was saved By trusting in what Jesus would do in exactly the same way that we are saved by trusting in what Jesus has done. We we have a clearer picture. Can you imagine that? We have a clearer picture of salvation, of what Jesus has done for us, of what salvation is than even Moses did. He had pictures, he had shadows. He was trusting in them we know that he was looking forward to the coming salvation of God he knew that it wasn't from his own merit he knew that he was looking for something else that he didn't belong to this earth that his his glory was something else that was going to be given to him by God in the same way that we are and that we have and so how do we know how do we know how do we know that's true of Moses how do we know that he was saved and he made it home Because Moses actually did make it to the promised land. Not then. But listen to this story, Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. It says talking with him about his exodon, his exodus. Moses. Moses shows up in his glorified body talking to Jesus about the true exodus that Jesus is about to accomplish through the cross as the fulfillment of the exodus that God had him do as a humble yet fallible servant and recorded For us, all time. That is mind blowing. You know, but here's the thing they're shining like light, they're emitting light from their bodies. Theologians call this the epiphanic glory spirit. In other words, there's something about the glorified body and reflecting the character of God that actually is emitting light. When Moses would come down from Mount Sinai, he had to cover his face because his face had taken on some of this epiphanic glory spirit. He was glowing and people were freaking out, so he had to put a mask on. And yet here, here's Moses, not with the petty earthly glory that he was fighting for at first, trying to be the man in front of people, trying to get his own little, little bit of glory to feel safe. Here's Moses having received the reward that Jesus had given him for his faithfulness, and he is now clothed in the glory that Jesus has given him in this light emitting, glorified body. And that, Christian, is your future. That's our future. That's what we've been promised, that is what we are hoping. And waiting for. Not how much glory we can scratch out from one another through whatever means we can make it happen, but to be patient and to wait. And someday, check this out someday, each and every one of you here that belongs to Jesus is going to be in a new, supernatural, multi dimensional, glorified, light emitting epiphanic glory spirit body face to face talking with Jesus. That's real. And so because of that, we can relax. We can take our seat in the lowliest place and we can wait for God to lift us up. Amen? Amen. And Lord, we thank you for your word and for the amazing, astonishing blessing it is to us. We pray. Lord, that you would help us to relax, to know that you are the most powerful force in the universe, to be content with the giftings and the place that you've given us, to seek not our own glory and our own promotion, but to seek the welfare of those people that you have placed around us and families and friendships, uh, as though, as being more important than even ourselves, and that through that, through that service, you would be glorifying us, building us up in righteousness and preparing us for that day when we will be with you and, as John says, that we will be like you, glowing in spirit power, face to face with you and and with God, just like Moses for all eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.